0: that was my fault sorry about that I pulled too hard on the cord all right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. Let, let me say a couple things about the drive-through. Uh, I hope that if you're not going to be able to participate in the actual uh, presentation of the drive-through, uh, that you will be praying for the drive-through, and I trust that you will. Uh, the complete gospel is shared through the drive-through. For those of who are not familiar with what goes on, it starts in a little girl, girl's room. Uh, and there's a storyline, and then it moves, of uh, course, to the, the scene you see back there in the back, which is this is what Christmas is really not. That's not the true meaning of Christmas. And then it continues with the story of Christ all the way to the death, burial, and resurrection. And then you return to the little girl's room, and the father is leading the little girl to Christ. It's a wonderful presentation of the gospel. So I hope you will be praying uh, for this as as it goes on. Now, some of you received your cards and you may have been disappointed, and we, we, we apologize for that, but it's a great problem. Some of you signed up for all three nights. The problem is we had such a great turnout of those who wanted to be a part of it, That we couldn't cast everybody or we couldn't put greeters in every night. So we kind of spread it out a little bit. So some of you got a night off that you weren't anticipating. Some of you have to do it all three nights because we just need that particular character. Uh, But I just wanted to kind of explain that. It's a good problem to have, but it it was definitely necessary or we would have just too many people. So thank you for stepping up as you have. If you are going to be involved in the setup, please try to get back here today at 1.30. We want to get this thing up as quick. Quick as we can, and then we'll kind of do, uh, tweak it as the week goes on, and then Wednesday night we'll have the rehearsal. All right, let, let me just share this with you. Um, uh, Gary uh, Marburger, Some of you may not know this, but last night his mother went home to be with the Lord, and um, so we ask you to pray for Gary and the family. They're going to do a service on Tuesday. He is here, uh, but just pray for Gary and the family, if you will. All right. Well. Um, If you will, go ahead and pull out your outline. We're going to go ahead and jump in this morning. We're on part two of the sermon that we began last week. And of course, if you will, go ahead and look at the introduction and I'll try to introduce this. In this passage today, Paul is giving us the history of how sin and death came into this world and then contrasting it with how grace and life came into the world. Therefore, the royal invitation, which is the title of the whole series, is to leave the reality of sin and death and enter into the reality of grace and life provided. By Jesus Christ. And so we're on the second part of the problem of sin solved by grace. Now look at some of the questions that we're answering in this passage or that is answered in the passage. Why is there sin in the world? We answered that last week. Why do people die? We also answered that last week. And why does human nature never change? We answered that last week. Today we're going to be focused more on what is the solution to sin and death. And by the way, there is a solution. There is a provision made for it. And we'll be looking at that closely today. Last week, as I introduced this whole title, or this whole uh, uh, sermon, uh, we, I, I carried you back to September 11, 2001. Do you remember those day, that day? Uh, I think we all remember it. I think one thing that we remember most about it is how evil left us horrified. Think about what happened that day. Uh, evil was portrayed. The epitome of evil was there. Uh, for many of us, it, it caused fear. For some of us, doubt. For a lot of us, it shook us to our very core. And then we made the comparison between the epitome of evil that we saw that day with the, 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 and those towers coming down. In Proverbs 18.10, we read the opposite. And it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it. And they are saved. Now, think about this. When you think about what is actually being presented in these verses, it's almost as if Paul is talking about Adam, who is a tower of death, and Jesus, who is a tower of life. And what we're going to do is, Paul, as we make our way into these verses, we're going to go ahead and review where we were last week, but as we make our way into these new verses this week, you're going to see that Paul is making a great contrast between the two. And so look on your outline. The problem of sin is stated in Adam. And the first thing we saw last week is the presentation of sin. So look at Romans 5, look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. This is the answer to the question, why is there sin in the world? And of course, you can read the actual account in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. So there you had the presentation of sin. It came by way of one man. His name was Adam. And it came to us generationally through sin. So the presentation of sin led to the penalty of sin. So look at chapter 5, verse 12 again, the second part. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. This is the answer to the question, why do people die? It's because of sin. You see, there are two diabolical twins, as I said last week, that were introduced that day in the Garden of Eden. Sin and death. Death is a direct result and penalty of sin. The Bible couldn't be any clearer when it says this. The wages or the penalty of sin is death. It's very clear the way it's presented in Scripture. And, of course, last week we looked at three types of deaths. There's First of all, is the one we're familiar with is that physical death. It says, but Adam... And here's the question. There's a physical death, but did Adam die immediately when he sinned? If you go back and look at the account, no, he didn't. He lived hundreds of years later. And so what actually is he talking about? He's actually talking about the second kind of death. Look on your outline. The spiritual death. Now, here's what you need to understand. When Adam was created... He was created fully alive. Okay, there's no doubt about that. Created fully alive. All right? So he was spiritually alive. He was eternally alive. Everything about him was alive. When he sinned, he and Eve sinned, they entered into something else. All of a sudden, death and sin came rushing in. And so therefore, he then stood the potential to die physically. He was never intended to die physically. But he will now die physically because of the decay of sin. But not only that, when he sinned in the garden, he died spiritually. There was something in him that died that day. Now, was it restored? Yeah, God made a provision for that. But the point is this. There's not only physical death, there is also spiritual death. Now, when we are born, when we came along, because of the generational sin, we were born dead spiritually. And we prove that when we sinned. Some of us came out of the womb sinning. <laughs> Some of us said maybe it was one or two. But at any point, we all proved to the fact that we were spiritually dead because we were not only sinners, we were born sinners. And as a result, there was something that happened. So there's physical death, there's spiritual death, and then there's eternal death. Physical death plus spiritual death equals eternal death. This is the penalty of sin. This is the clearest way you can make it. Is that This is the penalty of sin. Now, we're going to see in a little while that there's a provision for this, but that comes a little bit later in the verses. Next, we see the power of sin. The power of sin. Look at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. This is a very controversial verse here, by the way. Look at verse 14. Let's get a little more clarification. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Now, let's unpackage all this. Think of this. The power of sin can be summed up in one horrible word, death. When we sin, we are doomed to die. What Paul was trying to tell us is that in these verses is that death entered the world not only because man broke the specific laws and commandments of God, but death entered the world through sin itself. Through sin itself. Now here's what that means. Even those, according to verse 13, looking back at verse 13, who are not guilty of any specific violation of God's law because the law had not been given, but yet they still died. Now, how do we know that? If you go to Genesis chapter 5, there's a whole lineage, a whole line. of the, It says, and this person begot that person. And this one died. And this one begot this person. And what? This one died. And the, the death toll goes on and on and on and on. Now, here's what's interesting about all that. When Adam was in the garden, he was told not to eat of the tree of good and evil. Do you remember that? Told not to eat of that tree. Only thing he was like, that was the only command he had to keep. Now, how many of you are sitting there thinking, come on, Adam. One law. You couldn't keep one law? I mean, he didn't. Now here's what's interesting: as man left the garden, all of a sudden sin and death reigned. How many of you have read the book of Genesis? You know it reigned. It not only reigned; it reigned on those who who which death reigned. You remember uh, when it came to Noah. And so all of a sudden you see all this death, you see all this sin, you see all the things that are going on. Now what's interesting about that is from the time of Adam all the way to Moses, there is no law. There is no law. There's nothing that specifically said and God said, don't do this. Or God said, do, do this. And so what you have here is you've got this long period of history where there's no law. Yet what happened? Men still sinned and men still died. Now, here's the the thing that's hard to, to get our minds around. Does this seem fair that people can live and die? And not know specifically what is required of them. I think many of us would have, probably have a hard time seeing that. Now, here's what we need to understand. Since Adam, sin had been and it always will be universal. But according to verse 13, sin was not charged. There was not personal guilt against a person before the law was given. There has to be a law before there can be a charge of guilt However, according to verse 14, death still was the judgment and part of the experience of man. Because of Adam's sin, death was passed down to other generations. Then the question becomes, are those who sin before the law eternally condemned? Have you ever thought of that? I think many of us may have thought of that. Maybe we've thought of it in a different way. What happens to the person who lives all their life never hearing the name of Jesus? Has that happened before? From what we can tell, it has happened. I've talked to some people recently, and we've read books about missionaries who have gone to these tribal groups that are supposedly untouched by the gospel. They've never heard the gospel, and it's interesting when you go into some of them, according to missionaries and their writings, sometimes there's a story of redemption that's already present in that culture. Now, we don't know how it got there necessarily, but there's a story of redemption. Many of them do not know the name of Jesus, but they understand a story of redemption. And so here's where I am on all this. And I don't think we have an answer, a clear answer to this in Scripture. But here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that the Bible says that God is not only holy. God is not only love. God is just. He's just. Therefore... If we can't explain what happens to people who have never heard the gospel or this group of people who were born between Adam and Moses when there was no law, we can understand this, that God is just and what is fair will be done. We can count on Him to do that because that's who He is. But on the other hand, it is interesting when you think about it. How will they be judged? According to Romans chapter 2, we studied this some months ago. According to Romans chapter 2, There is enough in creation to show us what? That there is a creator. That there is someone that we're accountable to. Not only that, there is something within each of us, every one of us, in which which there is a conscience. There's a conscience that's there. And as we look at that conscience, there's something within us that helps us to determine right from wrong. Even though there is no presentation of the law or even the presentation of God Himself. And so here's what we need to understand. God is just. He will deal with them fairly. We don't know how He's going to judge them, but He will judge them just as He'll judge everyone. So that is a problem that we find in Scripture, something that we can't get our minds around. But the one thing we can take away is that God is fair and God is just, and He will judge accordingly. Now, let's move to the next part. The problem of sin, this is the good news, is solved in Jesus. So look back at verse 14 of chapter 5. The second part says this. According to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Okay? And then he's going to go into something else. Who is a type of him. Of course, him there is Jesus who was to come. So what's what's happening here is Paul is setting up a contrast. He's setting up a contrast. Paul is talking about Jesus Christ here. Now, how is Adam like Jesus? Well, here's what we need to know. Adam blew it for the human race. How many of you agree with that? He blew it. Genesis tells us the story. He blew it. Now, some of you men would say it was Eve. Adam and Eve blew it. Okay, they both did, all right? But then Jesus comes along and he saved the human race. Now, let me point this out. We looked at this last week. This is the good news. In chapter 5, Paul is convincing us that salvation is a result of a single act Jesus dying on the cross. We just sang about that. Wesley's done a beautiful job of bringing the praise music to what we're discussing this morning. He's brought it together. And so him dying on the cross. Verse 1, it says this of chapter 5. We were justified how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Who does that include? You and me. He died for the ungodly. Verse 8, he's justified by his blood. He gave himself for us. Verse 9, justified in his blood. Verse 10, we're reconciled through his death. Verse 11, we receive reconciliation. He brought all this about by a single act, him dying on the cross and conquering death with his resurrection. Now, Paul was a logical teacher. When you see Paul's writings... There's a lot of logic that goes into it. And he's really good at, at what I think is anticipating the questions of those who are hearing him. And so here's some things that he may have been thinking when he wrote this. Some of you are thinking, how can the actions of one person affect the whole world? Maybe it's like this. How could one person named Adam plunge humanity into the destruction of sin and death? Or how could Jesus Christ, who died years ago in Jerusalem, be the solution to humanity's greatest need? Is it possible that two men could affect the entire human race? Basically, Paul was saying, yes, and let me introduce them to you. And so he's already talked about Adam and how we got to the condition that we're in. Now in the the next verses, he's going to do a contrast between that same Adam... And the one who was to come, who was that? Jesus. So we've got our two towers, the tower of death and the tower of life. So the first thing I want you to see under this are the events, the events of God's grace through Jesus. Look at chapter 5, look at verse 15. It says, but the free gift is not like the offense. Now he's already described the offense, what it cost us. We had the presentation of sin. We had the penalty of sin, which was death. And we see the power of sin, which death reigned over and over and over again. So he said, the, the, the free gift, what, what I'm getting ready to introduce to you, is not like what we just read. For, by, for if by one man's offense many died, that's why he's just described, much more the grace of God and the gift. Now, here's what we need to understand. When it says, for if by one man's offense, some of your translations say transgression, it means someone who deviated from the intended path. How many of you would say that describes Adam? He devi- deviated from the intended path. That was not the path God intended. But as a result of Adam doing that and Eve doing that, God made a provision to create, to, to restore the path, to, to fix the path. And so it says much more. So much more. Now think of this. Jesus broke the power of sin and death, but sin and death can never break the power of Jesus and what he provides. Now that's one thing you need to understand about this contrast. Adam represents death, Jesus represents life. Jesus can overcome death and sin, but here's the good news. Adam, with the death and sin that he brings into the world, cannot overcome the provision of Jesus Christ. That is a good thing. That is the good news. And then it goes on and says this. By the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Now, here's what all this looks like. Look at your outline. Adam, we see sin in the garden. Jesus, we see the gift on the cross. Now, what was the gift? Grace. It's actually, if you go and and do a word search and you look at uh, in the Greek what what gift really means, it's the whole idea of grace gift. It's not just grace. It's grace gift. Now, here's what we need to understand. This, This is what he's saying here. Everything Adam gave away or lost in the garden, Jesus purchased back or gained on the cross. Does that make sense? So everything Adam lost over here, Jesus gained back over here. Now let me tell you something many of you may not like the big words of theology. That is called the doctrine, the doctrine of redemption. He purchased back. What sin and death took away, He brought back. was a provision that He made. Now, here's what you need to understand about this. Not only forgiveness... Of of bondage and sin. This is big. But also a restoration of innocence. I want you to think about this. What did Jesus provide for? He provided for not only forgiveness, but also the innocence that was lost in the garden. Now here's, here's, here's the way that many professing believers are living contrary to what Jesus says about them. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me, let me tell you what happens. You're not only forgiven. Your sins are not only cast as far as the east is from the west. You understand that. That's in there, right? He also restores innocence, which means this. Christians who have confessed, who have repented of their sins, there's an innocence that comes back. But many Christians don't live that way. Here's how they live. They believe that the forgiveness was granted. But guess what? Many of them are still plagued by the shame and guilt of their sin. And they don't realize deep down that that's already been provided for. Do you understand that? That's part of the great news. That we no longer have to live in the reality of shame and guilt. That if we ask for forgiveness, if we confess our sins, if we say, Lord, I don't want to have any part of that anymore. I'm repenting of that. I'm turning my life over to you. But many Christians who are professing believers, they believe everything, but they still carry the guilt and shame. And the picture that we see here is the fact that he brings a restoration of innocence. How many of you like that? It's true. That's what it provides. But many believers don't live as if that's true. God's grace, listen, is greater than our sin and the effects of our sin. The effects of your sin is this, shame and guilt. That's the effects of it. You may believe it's been forgiven, you may believe, but a lot of you are still living in that guilt and in that shame. It's been provided for. But the enemy wants to keep you there. Here's another one. The results of God's grace through Jesus. Look at chapter 5. Look at verse 16. It says, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. That means there's a contrast he's drawn. For the judgment which came from one man's offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Now, think about that. What is he saying? Offenses means transgressions, things that are off the intended path. And here's what he's saying. He's saying they're, they're, the first part of this, through, through the one who sinned, it seems like it doesn't seem to be that, that one created the condemnation. But let me tell you this. He's saying here's the good news. Through the many offenses, how many of you are a representation of the offenses? Are you? Yeah, every one of you are, okay? The representation of that, guess what? There's something that comes with it. It resulted in justification. Now skip verse 17, go down to verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Here's what this means. Apart from Jesus Christ and you uh, receiving what he offers, that's where you stand right now. You're still in your transgressions. You're still in your offenses. And guess what? Condemnation is coming to you. That's what that means. But even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. So look on your outline. Adam, he brought condemnation. Jesus, he brings justification again. This is the doctrine of justification. What does justification means? It means that you are declared righteous. When you're declared righteous, let me tell you what that means. It means now you're accepted by God. That's what the doctrine of justification means. It means declared righteous, but it also means you're you're you're, you're coming and you're accepted by God. Okay. Now, do we make ourselves acceptable to God? Uh-uh. Jesus provided that. That's what he's saying here. Now, let's break this apart. One sinful act of Adam brought universal condemnation. One sacrificial act of Jesus brought universal salvation. Now, now think through this. You've got to be careful how you think through this. Does this mean that because of Adam, all became sinners? It does. It does mean that. And because of Jesus, all are saved. Does it mean that? No, it does not mean that. Now, it sounds good, it sounds logical, and it makes sense. But however, everyone sinned because of Adam, and everyone is saved because of Jesus. Now, there are some people who actually believe this, and it's called universalism. They believe that every one of us sinned in Adam, and we're gonna die. But everyone, everyone, doesn't matter who you are, is saved automatically. That's just not good theology. It's not even theology. Listen to this. They say, our duty is not to go out and see people saved, but to tell them they are saved and they just don't know it. Then they will start acting like they're saved. (laughs) Nothing could be further from the truth. Many believe this, but this is not good theology. Here's proper theology, and we're going to see it in the next verse. We are born in sin through Adam. We all agree on that, right? But we are saved from the penalty and power of sin. How? Through Jesus. One is automatic. The other demands a choice, which leads us to, look on your outline, the effects of God's grace through Jesus. Look at verse 17. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, here's what that means. It means it has a present and a future application. okay? Much more, here's the better news. those who receive, you see? you see it right there? You need to underline that. That's the key. That's what creates uh, that's what separates bad theology from good theology. those three words. those who received. Okay, when you got saved, you know what you were doing? You were receiving the provision of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what you were doing. And so he says, those who received the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. So what did we receive? His grace. And guess what was also given to us? His righteousness, which makes us acceptable to God. But we had to receive it. We had to receive it. And then it says this, and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. It has a present and a future application. Here's what it means. We no longer have to live as a victim of sin. We have power over sin and its bondage. Okay, but how did it come about? Through the one, Jesus Christ. So look on your outline. In Adam, there's death. If you don't know this, you can pull it up on the internet, but listen to this. In our world, every minute, 250 people are born. Think about that. But here's the other side of it every minute, 105 people die. Do you know that most of those people who will die every minute have not embraced the gospel, have not received the gospel? And time just keeps ticking. And it all started with Adam in the garden. But then there's Jesus. And that's life. In Ephesians 2.1. Here's what it says. Paul said this also. And you. He made alive. Jesus made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. Now let's keep moving. The reasons for God's grace through Jesus. Look at verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience. Many were made sinners. Now, the word made there can mean established. They were established as sinners. So also, by one man's obedience, many will be made or established righteous. So look on your outline. You have Adam, disobedience. It provided death and condemnation. But with Jesus, you have obedience. It provided life, redemption, and justification. Now, think of this. His Jesus' obedience and sacrifice satisfied and fulfilled all the demands of the law. Do you understand that? You need to hear it again. Here it is. His obedience and sacrifice satisfied and fulfilled all the demands of the law. If you came out on the other side, how would you judge it? It would have been perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. He provided it for those who... Who receive it for those who receive it. That's the difference. The product of God's grace through Jesus. Look at verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And when it says, Moreover, the law entered that offense may abound, it means it might become more evident that laws are being broken. Did you know this? Did you know that the law sheds more light on God's grace than anything in this world? Now, when we think of the law, what do we think? Oh, no, that's, that's, that's the reason we're in trouble. No, we were in trouble before the law showed up. But you know what happened? The law showed up and made it more evident that we were lacking. It helped us. The law was a good thing. It showed us how, how far we had fallen. It shows us how much we need a Savior. And so therefore the law, so it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. It became more evident what we needed. So God gave the law as a pattern of righteousness, but not as a means of righteousness. It showed the pattern. It showed God's standards, but it was never intended to save us. You know why? Because we were born sinners. We will never fulfill it perfectly. And that's what God required and so when he said this, when he said, hey, let me tell you something. I'm going to give you this law. And this law is not here to put you in bondage. It's not here to, to, to just, just to for something needless in your life. It's here to show you just how far you're coming up short. And how much you need my provision. That's what it's intended for. It goes on. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So look on your outline. Adam, we see sin abounding. Okay? Sin is abounding. Right beside that, put addition. Addition. That means sin came, then another sin, and then another sin. Okay? That's, That's a picture of what you see there. Now, how many of you would say that describes your life? You sin, then you sin, then you sin. It's adding up, right? But can I show you what's happening with grace? You see Jesus, and you know what you see? You see grace abounding. And it's in the context. Look at what it says. Grace abounded much more. It's multiplying. Sin is adding up. But what is grace doing? It's multiplying. It's multiplying. How how many of you are thankful that grace multiplies where sin just adds up? Because that's what it's doing in our lives. It's overflowing. It's covering. it's, It's taking care of everything that's necessary and needed. So then here's the bottom line. How does Jesus make a difference? In Adam, we are judged. In Jesus, we are justified. In Adam, we die. In Jesus, we live. In Adam, we face the wrath of God. In Jesus, we enjoy the love of God. In Adam, we are the servants of sin. In Jesus, we are the sons and daughters of God. In Adam, we stand in judgment and condemnation. In Jesus, we reign with Him. There's a big difference there. There is not a greater contrast in the universe... Than what we just saw here. Here's the application. Either sin and death. Are going to control your life. Or grace and life. Are going to control your life. Which is your reality. If you don't know Jesus Christ. As your Lord and Savior. If you did not receive what he offered. Let me just tell you where you are. Sin and death. Is reigning in your life. OK? You're like, "Really? Oh yeah, yeah. And we're not just talking about physical death. It leads to spiritual death. it leads to eternal death. It's what we've been reading here. However, if you've trusted him and received, listen, grace and life is what's reigning in you. Now let me tell you what's so sad about this whole situation. There's many Christians who I believe were sincere in what they received from Christ. I've met them. I've talked with them. And they've received and they, they've, they've, they've repented of their sins. They've turned their life over to Him. But the enemy still plagues their life. The enemy still says, no, you're still guilty. No, you still need to live in this shame. And, and y'all, that's just not true. So here's what that means. That means that there's some of you who are sitting here today and you've received to the best of your knowledge. And what the Bible says, you've received what He has offered. But you haven't received it all. You're restricting what God wants to bring into your life. And you know what you're doing? And you do, you're doing exactly what I did for many years of my life. For some reason, I knew I was forgiven. But I just couldn't shake the shame and the guilt in my life. He wants to take it all. Listen, when he, what he did in the garden, let, let, let me tell you what he did. In Jesus, we gain much more than we ever lost in Adam. Did you realize that? The innocence can be restored. But you got to let that spirit work in your life. You don't have to hold on to the bondage of guilt and shame. Give it to Him. How do you give it to Him? you got to call it what it is. If you've never confessed it, if you've never repented of it, you got to do that. And then guess what? He can bring, and the Bible calls it, the times of refreshing back into your life. And that's what He wants for His children. But some of you aren't living there. So here's where we are this morning. Some of you have never received what Jesus offers. You need to receive it today. But then maybe you're a Christian, you're here today, and you've received it, but you haven't taken on the full benefits of it. For some reason, you're deceived into thinking you need to hold on to this. You don't have to. He says, lay it at my feet. I died for that. I took on. Listen, He not only took on my sin, He took on my guilt. He took on my shame. He's saying, "Give me that, and he'll take it." Stand to your feet, please, Father. We just come to you right now, and we just thank you for your word, and, and Lord, this is uh, this is such good news, and Lord, I think so many times we read over these things, and and we lose what's really there, and. And we not only do that in our reading, I think we do that in our thought life and what we think you're providing for us on the cross. And and we think it's just the forgiveness. We think it's just certain things. Lord, you said, give me the guilt, give me the shame. That's what you died for. Father, I pray for that person that's here today that hasn't given that up yet. Lord, that they will find the freedom in you, Lord, to give that up, that the times of refreshing may come. But, Father, for that person that may be here today, and they've never received what you've offered. They've never received forgiveness of sin. They've never received the innocence that you want to restore in their life. Father, I pray you draw them also. Lord, maybe there's someone here that believes this is a church home you called them to be a part of. We welcome that also. Lord, have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.